It's overcast, just like I like it. But not raining, and the birds are singing loudly in the fields as I walk towards the bush. Today, a stream is the trail, and I hear it's a mystical place. I make it an early start to avoid having to face the kayak boys. They sped off and left me alone in bumpy waves yesterday as we paddled rented kayaks in the Waikari Inlet. I was cold, annoyed. Well, actually, I was depressed. When we got to Cheryl's place, I was unable to speak my mind. And when they claimed the only picnic table in her yard for themselves... I kind of snapped at them and suggested, hey, guys, let's share. Lots of tears, then lots of stars, finally putting me to sleep. And here I am, starting a new day. It's funny how thru-hiking does that. You simply erase things like an etch-a-sketch, and you get a do-over. I really know of nothing more cleansing than walking for a chance to redeem oneself. You're listening to The P-Rag, Unfiltered Adventures of the Blissful Hiker. I'm Allison Young, the Blissful Hiker, sometime professional flutist, sometime voice artist, and full-time pedestrian. Like that small backpacking essential of the same name, the P-Rag tells the sometimes unglamorous but vital truth about empowerment as a badass woman who really doesn't need permission to blaze her own trails in this journey that we call life. I want to thank Lecky Trekking Poles for supporting the P-Rag podcast. If you want to be a blissful hiker, Lecky's should be in your hands. Those Lecky's right now are like limb extensions as I walk. I'm mostly ultralight, though food, my rain gear, and the audio tools I use to capture the sound you're hearing add some weight. But it's easy walking through farmland with horses and cows. Someone's got his weed whacker set on high this morning. I wonder if he's the same guy who was playing his music last night. I come to the Papakauti stream. An extra-large bull watches me through a screen of trees and leaves loud patties as he chews, his jaw circling sideways. I'm already a bit lost. Nothing is marked, and it's a weedy, wet, barbed-wire nightmare. Is it too much to put up just a few signs, guys? This area is pretty much off the grid. Bashed-in cars parked at odd angles have all their windows shot out. Rusting farm implements are left right where they died. A swing bridge, three boards across and no handrails, spans the stream in a lazy curve to someone's freshly mowed backyard. Their house is repaired with corrugated metal of various colors. Someone tells me trail angels live here, but maybe I'm too early. I follow the stream for a while and finally see a sign that tells me I've entered the Russell Forest. At that exact moment, Ondi lopes by in her ankle-high boots that appear too large for her feet and a man's long-sleeved dress shirt. But she moves along fast, and I quickly get behind her to follow, knowing she didn't get lost. We pass an old caravan, the knocked-out window boarded over and a crooked chimney blowing out tiny plumes of smoke. Someone lives in there, I ask, rather stupidly. Ondi tells me matter-of-factly that 
Most Kiwis have a caravan next to their main house for guests or relatives. I like the idea of allowing guests their own space. Cheryl told us last night that this forest had collapsed, and then amended that to ask that if we do hear any birds to let her know. It's loud and alive with song, which is no mean feat. New Zealand has a nearly insurmountable problem with invasive species that are destroying the habitat. Bush possums, in particular, a marsupial introduced in the late 19th century, they might be the worst culprit. Brought in for the fur trade, these cute little mammals have large Disney-esque eyes and a button nose with whiskers. But don't let that fool you. They are a menace and eat everything in the bush. Leaves, buds, flowers, fruit, insects, snails, and, yep, eggs and birds, too. The birds have no defense since they've evolved without predators. And, of course, that means possums have no predators either, except kiwis, who spend a good deal of time trapping, poisoning, and shooting them. Still, it's estimated there are 30 million possums on New Zealand, about six times the number of human inhabitants. But someone's worked very hard in here to clear out the invasives, and the birds are back, at least as far as I can tell. I go up and down through curtains of giant ferns growing into the trail. I pass a downed tree with bright orange toadstools in a neat row. Soon, I'm walking in water on soft reddish-brown stone. The water is cool and clean. Every last vestige of mud and sand comes off my Las Portivas. I splash through like a kid, kicking up the freshness above my shins. It's a fairyland in here of dappled light. Massive fronds that trace their lineage to the Carboniferous period stroke the banks of gurgling music. Each step I take heals whatever darkness took over yesterday with an audible plunk and kaspoosh. We spy a swimming hole, moss curling over the edge of ground, ferns reflected in its mysteriously lapis surface. Of course, we strip bare and dive in. Well, Andy dives in, and I gradually work my way into the soul-restoring coolness. Andy gives me a gift. She lets me talk, and I need to, badly. I need reassurance, validation, to just unload... I didn't know it at the time, but this moment of trail angel kindness would be fleeting. I never really see Ondi again on my entire five-month walk. Thinking back now to that perfect metaphor of a kind of baptism in the Papakauti stream, one that removed my sorrow and confusion from the previous day, I wonder if I acknowledged how much it mattered to me, how powerful her small act of kindness was in that enchanted setting. We dress and walk on, and soon leave this heavenly forest of sunlight glistening on the thick vegetation. Ondi stops at a small campsite in the forest, the stream long behind us now, and I head on, up and over a ridge that will take me down to Helena Bay. Signs on this forest track warn no trespassing, poison is being used, and that all dogs will be shot, no excuses. I'm not entirely sure why dogs should be shot, but my guess is it has something to do with the poison. Soon, I leave the forest altogether and come to a road and stop at a Maori marae to have a snack in the wind, the hot sun moving in and out of cloud. 
As if to honor this primeval forest I've just walked through, I eat some gummy dinosaurs. And I remember that Bram gave me the rest of his gummies last night when I felt so bad. I hope I remember to thank him. Undi lumbers past me, and I see her at the main road putting her thumb out for a ride. Okay, folks, it's the moment of truth. Do I walk the next nine kilometers of road, or do I skip it? It's not like anyone will care what I do. You know, it's a funny trail, this Te Araroa. You go from conjunctivitis coast of blowing sand beach, to epic mud, to kayaking, to a stream walk, and finally, to tarmac. I took a leave of absence from my job for this? Well, not really that much. The air is cool and the day is clear. I'm here, and I'm just going to walk it. It actually reminds me of this weird bike route I rode one summer, Bike Route 41 from St. Paul to Canada. It's not a trail, though it uses trails. It's a route. So sometimes you're in traffic and ride into the less attractive parts of town. And sometimes you're on a two-lane highway with barely any shoulder and cars whizzing past at 55 plus. So no, walking on road doesn't bother me that much. And besides, I get to see how people live. Along here are interesting homesteads of cobbled together bits and pieces. Always a few comfy chairs out front, a rain barrel, lovingly placed plants, and of course, a caravan permanently parked. Flowering tea trees work all the way up the hillside. Three tough guys are animated in their talk at the mailbox. A tiny girl stands close by and returns my wave. I come across a field of pigs rooting. They take one look at me with their intelligent gaze and scamper off in a burst of snorts. Finally, I come down a hill and I see the ocean open up in front of me. A trail angel named Ross lives in a converted container and invites TA hikers to camp on his lawn. There's already a small group set up, all people new to me. The walk on the road is long, and I soon discover I'm the only one of the group who walked it. Ross's green lawn is so inviting, soft on my feet as I change into my camp shirt and set up the alley coop. I make a quick dinner of tuna and couscous plus cheese, then head to the beach, a horseshoe of sand hemmed in by steep bush-covered hills jutting straight up from the ocean. The sand is also soft, the bay's waves gently caressing my bare feet. A dog comes to play with her stick, which she fetches for me over and over in the surf. It's only 6.30, but I'm exhausted. I put my feet up at a picnic table, and I think about how I felt guilty getting upset yesterday. But now think, what good does that do? As though I punish myself for having feelings. The truth is, I'm insecure about what I'm doing here, and the slightest dismissiveness rattles me. But right now is so nice, and I make a deal with myself to take things as they come and, at least try, to let go of the things that don't work. I turn to go, saying goodnight to this lovely place, and head back onto the grass where all the little houses sit in rows as though sharing a giant lawn. 
A woman about my age crosses my path, and I smile and say hello. She's surprised by my accent and smiles back. I ask her the standard question if she might have a beer I could buy. Her smile turns to a frown and a furrowed brow. You need one? She tells me there's no beer at her house, so I thank her, thinking she might be a teetotaler and continue walking back to the tent. Wait, she says. What I meant was, I don't like beer. I prefer champagne. And that was the beginning of the end of a beautiful day. You're listening to The P-Rag, Unfiltered Adventures of the Blissful Hiker. Through sharing my stories of walking long-distance trails solo as a middle-aged female hiker, I hope I can empower you to find your own inner badass and learn to hike your own hike, too. If you're enjoying the storytelling, consider subscribing to The P-Rag wherever you get your podcasts. And if you listen on Apple, I'd be over the moon if you'd consider giving me a review. It really helps others like you find the podcast. And thanks also to Lucky Trekking Poles for their support of The P-Rag. So, for, for, for your pronunciation, for your vowels, A-E-I-O-U, they pronounce A-E-O-U. And here I had just promised myself I'd take things as they come, and Tracy walks into my path. She's a midwife, and her husband Ben is a carpenter. Her dad and cousin all have places here in the Bay, and they were just getting ready for cocktails. I'm invited right into the center of this family, Tracy holding court in the corner surrounded by picture windows looking out to the beach. I begin to learn things like correct Maori pronunciation, such as W-H as an F sound, as in the city they're from, W-H-A-N-G-E-R-E-I, Fungerei. I also learned that their little beach home is called a batch. It's spelled like Bach, but pronounced batch. I think you need some more beads. I booed how many last weekend? All the bases. <laughs> All the bases I, I got stuff. obsessed with beads, buying them for down here. Uh-huh. Beads. Bead. A bead. A bead. Bead to sleep on. A bead. <laughs> I thought you meant like bead. A bead. Yeah. You sleep on the bead. She, okay. She's bought about ten beads lately. And wonderfully, I'm invited for a second dinner of lamb chop from their farm and vegetables from their garden. They then offer me a bed pronounced bead, but I decide to go back to the alley coop and thank them, stumbling away full of nutrition and good feelings. I'm snuggled in for only a few moments when suddenly the heavens let loose with torrential rain just pounding on the taffeta-like dynamy tarp of the alley coop. No flooding, no leaks, but what a sound it makes. I pack up wet in the morning, but well-rested in the lullaby of white noise, the bay covered in low fog as I head straight up a steep ridge with a chance to look down at all the little batches. Thanks, Ross, for a cozy night on your lawn and fresh water for my bottles. And thanks, Tracy and Ben and your family, for inviting me to dinner and for sharing your evening with me. The sun peeks out of its shroud, 
and my pants are soaked up to the waist from the thick undergrowth, a car wash thwacking me as I walk past with last night's downpour still on their leaves. I follow the ridge before ducking into forest on a narrow track of just my two feet in width, then notice a tiny spur going up. I always make many demands for where I stop. Out of the wind, shade, a view, something to lean on, no mud, and I find it up this spur, amidst cowrie, though I'm very careful not to step too close, leaning instead on a rimu and watching the branches swaying in the breeze. I'm almost two weeks in on this adventure, and being alone in this out-of-the-way spot for my brunch is absolute bliss. I pack up and continue on, walking along a trail with very little mud, no river, no blowing sand, but some of the hardest up-and-down steep terrain I've ever encountered in my life. Just then, a fit Austrian I met last night named Leonhardt, or Leo, catches up to me, and I walk with him for a few K. Leo talks non-stop, and about as fast as he walks, nearly running in here. But he pauses long enough for me to tell him about the kayak tobacco the other day and how upset I was. He stops in his tracks for a moment, as if to drive his point home, and exclaims in his thick-accented English, Oh my God, that's totally a guy thing. Which instantly cracks me up and causes me to forget all about feeling sorry for myself. We push on, up and down and over roots, slipping a little as we move, and Leo gives me the quick story of his life. He quit his job to travel, and will do so until the money runs out. He refuses to walk any roads whatsoever, and actually hitched here from Pahia two days ago for me. I realize I'll likely never see him again once he moves on. Too bad, because I really like Leo already. Leo talks and talks and moves so fast, and finally I have to slow down. I watch him disappear behind ferns as the trail dives down into the forest, and I wonder when he'll notice I'm not behind him anymore. I crawl out of the forest now and cross open fields under clear skies with views far back to the mountains and bays. I come to a cowrie dieback cleaning station, but it's empty, and I try as hard as I can to scrape off the mud on my shoes. But it's a fool's errand, and I'm sure to be carrying bad stuff everywhere I walk. The first days of the Teodoroa feel so long ago, and I remember thinking I'd never connect with anyone. And now, in these last days, as I find my own pace, I love my solitude, especially high on this open ridge where sheep safely graze next to million-dollar views. But those views don't last long as I take a turn right back into deep bush on the Moorpork track towards Fananaki. Mud confronts me immediately, and it's the Ratea Forest deja vu all over again. Another cleaning station is tended this time, and I disinfect my shoes, scraping them on the plastic brushes. I follow a stream that crescendos as it hits rocks, feeding into a deep green pool partially hidden by ferns. The name of the track changes to Onakayanga, and here the real advanced tramping track begins. I thought the other stuff was hard? Uh-uh. Now it's up and down, seemingly for no reason, 
a direct line, since why build switchbacks when you can just hurl yourself forward? At this point in the walk, I'm starving all the time. I haven't seemed to have lost weight yet, and happily not lost my appetite either, which tends to happen when I backpack. But all I can think about in this extremely tough section is, if I get down this track before 5.30, takeaway awaits me. I slip down and down towards a creek, and just before a killer heart attack of up, I come upon a magic camp spot in ferns and cowrie at a bend of a babbling brook. I look at it longingly, wondering if I should stay here in this idyllic place. It's really too early to stop somehow, so I take a mental photograph and then hoof up the hill, finally spitting out of the forest onto a field and happy, buzzing Manuka honeybees. The trail winds through farmland. I have to negotiate one really squishy fen and a few electric fences before arriving at an estuary, mangroves and their knees pushing through the muck. Birds flute in the trees as the path finally widens to a vast sandy expanse, houses tucked in looking down from a small rise towards the longest footbridge in the southern hemisphere, one that I'll walk tomorrow. There's a cafe, and I order the biggest burger on the menu. Bacon and egg, cheese, veggies, and a side of squid rings. While I stock up on camp food and chill under the canopy, Kathy charges my battery and directs me to some free camping up the road. And what do you know? Bram shows up right after me. After three attempts, we get our tents snuggled next to a building out of the wind on soft grass. A live band plays reggae across the street, and we sit looking out as the sun pinkens the estuary. I present Bram with a bag of gummies to settle up after the other night, and he pulls out of his bag a large bottle of Steinlager to share. The reggae doesn't stop until the wee hours, but I brought earplugs, and soon I'm asleep, thinking of all the magic in these last two days. The trail angels who showed up just when I needed them, like Leo and Ondee, Ross and Tracy, Kathy, and now Bram. I don't really see any of them again, and there's not another moment like this, even with Bram, who's walking the entire trail, too. I don't know that at the time, but it teaches me now that we never know for sure when it will be the last time we have with someone when a special moment of generosity and shared experience will be all there is. That, of course, goes for bad stuff, too. All of it passes eventually. Nothing illustrates that more clearly than a long-distance through-hike. That idea that we will never pass this way again. So the best thing to do is stay alert, stay present, stay fully alive, in where we are. I want to thank Lecky Trekking Poles for supporting the PRAG podcast. If you want to be a blissful hiker, Lecky's should be in your hands. And thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy the storytelling, please subscribe and go ahead and rate it. And better yet, write a review at Apple Podcasts. Like this one from fellow pedestrian who writes, 
Thank you for taking me on the Tanaroa hike virtually. What a joy to experience it without blisters on my feet or mud on my shoes. <laughs> and it's so nice now, fellow pedestrian, to just talk about blisters and mud from the safety of my home. And by the way, the music you're hearing is me playing flute from many, many years ago. You can find this recording on iTunes. You can also find show notes and more about my hikes all over the world at the website, thepirag.com. Next week, it's glorious seashell-filled beaches and tide-timing estuaries to cross. Until then, my friends, happy trails. Happy trails.